Welcome, Tasneem, to Watershed Riders. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to talk to you. Me too. And, and the first thing I want to ask you about is with a little bit of a Kitchener context, because I know you lived here when you were a child and that you moved away and you've returned to the area. I'm interested in hearing about some differences between uh, what it was like uh, when you moved here and what it's like to live here as an adult. Well, it's, it's an interesting question because I came to Kitchener um, when I was six years old and grew up here. And then I moved to Toronto for university and lived in Toronto for about 12 years, Hamilton for a few years, lived in East Africa for a few years, and then was 40 when I came back. So I, I kind of have two very different experiences of the city as, as a really as a kid and then as a fully grown adult. So it's, uh, it, it's almost like it's almost like a different place in, in many ways. Uh, so that when I do see something familiar from my childhood, it's, it's a bit startling. And I've driven in neighborhoods where I grew up and, and frankly, they're, they're quite unrecognizable because of the development. It's a funny thing. I do often think of it as two different places because everything has changed so much visually. Even, even the way we talk about it now, you know, uh, you, you describe it as a watershed and growing up, I just didn't think of Kitchener in any geographic sense, you know, or yeah, really even in a historical sense. I don't remember being really taught anything about living in Kitchener or anything about the history of the land itself. It's just felt like a different place. What's been um, a continuation has been family. And that's, that's what brought me back. My, my parents uh, live here. My father died uh, a year ago, but my, my mom is here. My siblings uh, ended up back here as well. That's been the connection. My, my childhood memories are a children's perspective of a place. And the book I'm working on now, the, the novel I'm working on, um, a large part of it set in 1970s Kitchener. And so that landscape has really stayed in my mind. I didn't realize how much until this book sort of started to emerge in me. So it's really fascinating. So I imagine I will have even more to say about this as I keep writing uh, and, and keep revisiting those places in my mind and then physically, you know, the, so that I think there'll be much more of a conscious connection to Kitchener as, as a place um, in my mind and in reality. I mean, I, I think it's interesting that it's becoming a kind of imaginative landscape for you, as well as, uh, you know, a, a landscape that existed in reality and in material contexts. I mean, who knows, maybe the fact that it's changed so much has made it uh, a more fertile imaginative reality uh, for you. Had it stayed exactly the same, maybe there wouldn't be a book in it, right? Yeah, maybe I, I'm kind of excavating my memories to, to find that childhood landscape. I was really drawn to it. Neighborhoods, physical neighborhoods uh, that I visited as a child, that I lived in, that I walked around in, you know, they're really quite powerful in my mind, like walking to the Lyric movie theater uh, in downtown Kitchener. A friend of mine lived somewhat in the area and we would walk downtown to go, to go see movies, you know, stuff like that, that it's just, it, in a sense, is a much more powerful uh, visual for me than what downtown Kitchener is now. It seems to be alive in my mind, the old Kitchener, in a way that maybe the, the current one is less, less so because I'm so sort of caught up in busyness now, right? Taking my kids here and there. Well, not right now with COVID. It, just not living it in the same way that I did as a child, uh, which was a more of a visceral experience, a sensory build experience. And full of intense relationships with other kids, no doubt. I'm just yeah. thinking of, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm thinking of my own adolescence, but I know this, <laughs> this is often true, right? I'm happy to hear this. And I, I, I'm, I'm interested too in how Kitchener situates itself in uh, your last novel, Where the Air is Sweet, that came out in 2014. I know that that was a book that simmered in your imagination for a long time. And uh, I also know that beginner writers are always very interested with what writers 
do with their ideas, like how they make them come to fruition, especially if it's based somewhat on family stories or on a family history. I get a lot of questions from beginner writers about, is this a real story? How do I write my family history? Can you say a little bit about how you began work with uh, what became Where the Air is Sweet and um, what your process was? It did simmer for a long time. It, uh, I like to say it gestated for about a good 20 years. My family's history was something that I, I wanted to, to examine in some way. Uh, I worked as a journalist, so for a time I thought about a kind of journalistic type of approach, but there was just so much emotion around it. It was very charged for me because this was my early childhood and, um, you know, fairly difficult time of displacement. And so it wasn't easy to, to grapple with. And I think that's why it needed to gestate for as long as it did. But for, to actually get to the place where I, I could tell the story in, in, in any kind of narrative form, I think I had to, number one, it, it needed to be fiction because I, that really freed me. I didn't feel constrained by having to get it right by anyone else's standards or anyone else's memories. It was, this was my story. Uh, I, th that was important. A lot of the book takes place before uh, I was born. I needed to feel that I had the right to tell this story. So that was important. And as I said, it freed me uh, creatively. And um, if somebody were to ask, you know, what, what's the best way to approach something like this? I think it's important to remember that even if something is real, even if something has happened, if it's a memory, it's still in your mind. And in that sense, the two people can remember the same event quite differently as we know. Uh, and, and we ourselves can remember an event differently depending on when we're recalling it. So it's really malleable. It's not, it's not fixed. And, and I think once you realize that, it, it can really free up the writing of it because then in a sense, it's all made up, you know, it's, it's, yes, it's based on something you remember, but you're not, you, you don't have to stick with that. That can be challenging for people. Well, you know, when, when, and, and I'm sure you've heard people say this when, oh, did that really happen? Or that didn't really happen like that. And you can get really bogged down, I think, in, uh, in, in that kind of thinking. Whereas if you accept that I'm in the present, in my mind, reliving something that happened, and I, I can let it flow in whichever direction I want. And, and that, re that I felt on a, on a sort of deeper level, on a level of process, that was what allowed me to write the book. I always tell beginner writers that the world is full of people who wrote, uh, wrote a book thinking that it was nonfiction and then decided to market it as a novel because of the liberties that they decided to take with stories, <laughs> yes. right? Yes. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think, you know, that's, that's fair enough. These are only marketing categories after all, really. So we shouldn't go much further without saying what, uh, where the air is sweet is, a, is about, and it is about um, the expulsion of Asian Ugandans from Ugandans Uganda in the early uh, 1970s on the order of President for Life Idi Amin. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the sort of the central event of of the book. Yeah, absolutely. And when I was reading it, I was young at the time that this happened as well, and I don't remember reading the numbers until mm. I, I read your book. And that's it was between sixty thousand and eighty thousand Southeast Asian Ugandans displaced, told oh, to go. <clears throat> They couldn't take, uh, they could take very few possessions. Uh, many of them didn't have a place to go, even though uh, Amin said that uh, people should literally go back to India was mm -hmm. one of the phrases that he used. I also watched a fair amount of Amin speaking to prepare for today. And oh, okay. that, was, that was a creepy experience, <laughs> I don't yeah. mind telling you. <laughs> yeah. Here it is, it's a family story, it's an intergenerational story, and it's an international story. That's an awful lot to take on. 
I'm interested in the fact that uh, I know you, part of your research was to ask your parents about their experience and your parents' friends of the same generation. But I also think I mean, it's interesting there to draw from history and also to fictionalize it. Can you tell me a, a little bit more about what you did with those stories? The way I, I wanted to tell the story was on a personal level, you know, it's kind of what prompted it was when I, when I was young and people would ask me, as, as they do, because I'm a, a woman of color uh, growing up, oh, where are you from? And I would say, Uganda. And, and that would never be the end of the conversation because people would always wonder, you're Indian, but you're from Uganda. And so then I would explain that my family had moved to Uganda. And, and, I, and I, I would sense, and, and maybe some, it was said explicitly at some point, I don't know, but I, I came to believe people were not terribly sympathetic about the expulsion, that it was like, oh, okay, you know, you were, you're actually Indian, but you briefly lived in Uganda and then, and then you were kicked out. And so I, I, wanted, I wanted people to understand it was an uprooting, that there were real ties uh, to Uganda. I mean, there, in my family, we had members of our family who were born, lived and died only in East Africa. They, they never lived anywhere else. And so I felt like that history and those people become erased uh, when people don't understand what it meant. Really, I wanted readers of the book to understand the emotional loss uh, that the expulsion was rather than, you know, Indian traders, which is often how it's described, Indian traders were expelled. So that, that was kind of what was behind how I wanted to tell it. And so that's why the stories I wanted were personal, I, I, because there's really nothing out there. I did, I, you know, I did some research um, on Ugandan, uh, modern Ugandan history, post-colonial history, and you'd get very little on the Asian uh, experience. You might get a paragraph about, as I said, these traders, the merchant class getting expelled. And, th and that was kind of it. I mean, it was factually correct. It didn't reveal how profound this loss was and, and what Uganda meant to us. So speaking to my parents and friends, I, I got anecdotal um, information. I got stories. This, this, I wanted to get the sense of what, you know, what it felt like to be told that, you know, you've got, 90 days to get out and this is the only life you've known and it speaking to uh, basically anyone who wanted to speak to me who was willing to speak to me um, about their experience uh, and then gathering that to get a general idea my grandfather had written hesitate to call them memoirs but he sort of written some notes about his life about certain businesses he had that type of thing it was a, a lot of details but not a lot of emotion but it was helpful because it just gave me a sense of you know the 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 facts that you want. My father has a uh, had a mind of um, he'd remember the exact make of the car, the brand of cigarette, <laughs> you know those kinds of things, and that was wonderful. <laughs> so I, I took those stories because um, what really actually ended up being my, my one of my most favorite things in the book was 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 writing uh, about the relationships between people, and so that was where I could have a lot of creative freedom, and that and that, and then I did I, I got to explore that type of thing, and so the the history. I could research, which I did. Uh, I got the details from the family and friends about uh, what were you doing uh, when you heard about the coup? What you know? What, what what were things like? How did people react in Barara? How did they react in Kampala? Um, those kinds of things that you just really couldn't find anywhere. And then I would sort of gather that, and I really I knew the arc of the story because it was going to be my family's experience, quite literally, from when my grandfather came to uh, Uganda until our family came to to Kitchener. That you know this was the arc. So I knew that I knew that already at the beginning, and then it was just a matter of really the details and the themes I wanted to explore 
yeah so that it was it was kind of a collection of sources essentially and and then and in fact i'd written a draft before i really dug into historical data you know news articles uh reports about specific political events and then i made sure that those were all correct so that was kind of the order there's a, a review in the toronto star when the book came out by um christine sismondo and she wrote Quote, it's chilling in a way that reading a nonfiction account of ethnic cleansing sometimes fails to be. So as we're sitting here thinking about the, this difference between fiction and nonfiction, how do you receive a, you know, a, a quote like that, that the fiction is a, a more chilling account that nonfiction wouldn't, wouldn't cut it in some ways? I remember that review, was, I loved it. And, and, um, and, <laughs> and it felt that line in particular was really validating because that that was why I wrote fiction. It's like reading a you know a horrifying statistic in pure numbers of of an ethnic cleansing or a holocaust. Obviously you react, but it's a different reaction than one person's account, right? Because you can you can sympathize on a, on a, on a real human to human level, which can be a much more profound experience and that was that was something I wanted, I wanted to happen. And so to read that in a review and, and, and to hear that from people as well, that somebody who had nothing to do with Uganda or knew nothing about East Africa or South Asians. In fact, a, a, a man who had grown up in uh, Russia uh, told me that it reminded him of, of, of living in, in Stalin's Russia. So, you know, that, that you, can, you can connect on, a, on an emotional level, I think, with fiction because, because you immerse yourself, right, in that character. So it's, it's a very different experience than reading a nonfiction account.